All right, we are on chapter 51. It is called Emergency of Mason Buttle. What happens is this, I yell all through the crumble down. Help me! Help me, Uncle Drum! Grandma! Help! I found him! I have Calvin! What I really have is Calvin's shoe, this tan sandy shoe. I tuck it into the waist of my pants, then I crash through Grandma's kitchen to the sink. I fill a cup with water. Everyone comes, Uncle Drum first, pulling on his blue jeans. Grandma and Shailene follow straight after. We go stepping over the broken porch, all of us running, water cups spilling. They follow me out back. The four of us kneel in the brambles beside the hole, flashlight shining down. We see Calvin's one foot, dead asleep foot, shoe still on it. And just below, down the hole, his white head, wet and muddy. Grandma reaches in and touches Calvin's hair. She whispers, poor boy, we're here. Help is coming. Uncle Drum says, dang, oh dang it, my goodness, holy heck. Then he swears bigger and bigger. He gets to his feet and taps on his phone. Shailene says, it'll be all right, Calvin. Just hold on, little buddy. And I say, he needs a drink. They make room for me and I lower the cup down, reach past Calvin's foot to find his face, find his lips. He can't take the cup. I'm not sure he can move his arms. I tip the water into Calvin, not too much at a time. He sighs for the sips. I know when to give the next one and the next. Everyone is asking how such a hole got here. How deep does it go? How did Calvin get into it? And why? Why didn't we know it was there in the first place? So I say, we dug it. We made the hole. But it seems like nobody hears. Nobody except for Calvin. He takes tiny breaths to speak and he whispers, yep, we did it. It was awesome. He says, I'm sorry, Mason. Sorry about the root cellar. I try to tell him that the cellar's fine. It's fine. But all the talking is drowned out by sirens. I look up from the hole. Red lights and blue lights flash through the orchard trees. The yard at the crumble down fills up quick. This is the Merrimack PD. Then the fire department, the rescue truck, all the volunteers, the searchers who have walked through the night. Feet come thundering. Voices come shouting. Equipment jingles. The sounds gather in my chest. Calvin is an emergency. I wave them to the place, arm circles, big as I can make. I warn about the thorns. I bring them to the top of the light shaft. I tell them about the door down below. I give up the root cellar. I show everyone where Calvin Chumsky is. Mr. and Mrs. Chumsky come. Their faces are tired. Their smiles and tears. They hold their own knuckles. They show. I show them the way to Calvin, and they are so, so glad. They rush over to see him. No one can believe it, how a boy can fit down a hole this way, how he ended up with one foot near the top of his head just below. I'll tell you what I know. Calvin Chomsky is as slim as a wire, and now he's bent like one too. Chapter 52, Extrication Step back, step back! I'm crowded out, sent away. A woman takes charge and she says, Emergency personnel only, clear the area, please get back! There's a plan to make. Some parts go quick. Uncle Drum moves the tractor. The firemen take the root cellar door off the hinges. They tear the brambles and vines away. They drag it to all clear. Now the root cellar stands with its mouth wide open. And wouldn't you know it, Lieutenant Baird arrives. He plants himself and stands guard. People have come. 
from up the hill and down the hill, coats over pajamas, feet in their boots. They keep their hands stuffed into their pockets. The rescue workers move inside, then outside. So many people in and out of the small root cellar. They check top and bottom, flashlights shining. They talk to each other and to Calvin. Then they measure things with their eyes. I run alongside as close as I can get, and I call out, It's five foot deep, or maybe six. It's a life shaft. We made it from a sauna tube and... Lieutenant Baird turns back to me, his arms wide. He pushes his elbows forward and flaps his hand. He says, Stay out of the way, Mason. Way out. Extrication is very tricky. Let them assess this situation. Let them work. And then he swings that arm back at me again. I want to be every place. I want to be inside the cellar and on top of the sauna tube. I want to see Calvin. But they have to set up tall lamps. They have to stretch the yellow tape. Equipment and rescuers are like a fence around Calvin. So I get an idea. I go inside and upstairs. I put my head out the window of the bedroom where I sleep. I told hold one tiny tan sandy shoe tight until I can give it back to Calvin. And I look straight down. I can see the hole and Calvin. Barely. But I know this. If he looks up, if he can look up, he'll see me up here in this window and he'll know I'm at the vantage point and I'm with him as much as I can be. A digger comes. Slow roll off the flatbed. Vibrations jiggling down the crumble down. Rattle the window frames. The excavator bites through the brambles into the earth. I smell the dirt and smell the rain that came down during the night. They cut close to the shaft, as close to Calvin as they can. It puts my heart in my throat. But then a fireman comes running out of the mouth of the root cellar, arms in the air. He warns the woman in charge. Something's not right. So she hollers, Halt! Halt! The digger lurches and stops. I put my head and my shoulders out the window so I can see better, and I'll tell you what. The crowd has become bigger now. They watch the digger crawl back and away. The woman goes to Calvin. She talks to him. I can't hear what she says, but I see her stretch her arms out deep into the hole, and I wonder, is she trying to pull him out? Could I have done that? But she doesn't try. She stands up and says, Where's the homeowner? I need dish soap. A whole bottle. Two if you have them. The bottles come quick from Grandma's kitchen. Then the woman says something about using gravity. I try to remember what I know about that. I think she means the weight of Calvin, the dropping down of him. It must be it. She pipes up and tells the others, we're going to keep him in the same direction he was going, from top down. She holds it out with her hands and says, are you ready below? The soap will lubricate. He'll start to slide. She says it like a promise. And then there she goes. On her knees in the brambles, she watches low with the soap dish bottle, arm deep in the hole. Hard to see now, but she goes all around making clock numbers. Smell of dish soap rises from the hole. Must be she's soaping the shaft up. Must be she's squeezing all the soap around the sides of Calvin. All around the sides of the shaft. She works with her arms all the way down the hole. One, then the other, and she says it. Progress! Calvin's dropping down. I can hear him. Calvin, relax. Let yourself fall. There are many hands below you to catch you. And we wait. And wait. Slow going, that is. Sliding a boy through a tinny, tight, skinny tube. And then it's done. Out comes Calvin into the morning. There's cheering and clapping. It's all for Calvin, for the rescuers, for an emergency that is over with now. I wave both arms from the upstairs window. I holler Calvin's name and I see him seeing me. Pretty sure he holds up one pale thumb on one kitten paw hand. Calvin Chomsky is out of the hole.
Chapter 53, Trouble for Breakfast. It's not much past sunup when the last rescue truck leaves. The first one took Calvin to the hospital. I watched them go as I had come outside to stand on the porch, but now I stand in the quiet. Funny thing, I'm awake to see a Wednesday night turn into a Thursday morning. It seems not real with the daylight now. All that has happened, I try not to worry. I try to believe that Calvin will be all right. They said so. They said it. They all did. And he gave that thumbs up, I'm pretty sure. When I try to go back inside the crumble down, I see what is left of our porch. Boards pulled up. I take the high step into the house, and I wonder how long that's going to stay like that. How long before we have to get new planks? Inside, Grandma has breakfast going. Scrambled eggs. Home fries. Uncle Drum is there. Turns out the Lieutenant Baird stayed, too. He's drinking coffee in the kitchen, but he's quiet, more than usual. I don't ask it. I tell it. Calvin peed on me. He couldn't help it. I need a shower, right now. Nobody disagrees with me, but Grandma passes me a basket full of clean, dry t-shirts before I head on up. I let the warm water pour all over me. I shampoo my head two times over Just glad is what I am. Glad and tired. I come down clean. Sorry to see that Lieutenant Baird is still here. Still drinking his coffee. Might be all that he wants. He's had a long night. Maybe that's why he's so quiet. I get a plate of breakfast in front of me. The smell of comfort of it. Then I don't... Wouldn't you know it? The Lieutenant has got a question. He wants to know why I didn't tell Calvin and tell about Calvin and me and the root cellar. So I say, it was a deal we made, two friends, because we didn't want those other kids to know. I put my fork in my eggs and poke them. He wants more. He says, which kids? And I say, just the ones we have trouble with, the ones I told you about before. He says, Matt Drinker. I nod. He says, what kind of trouble? So I say, apple fights and chases is all, and some stuff with his dog. So he says, So you and Calvin had a hideout, a place of your own. And I say, yes. Seems like the lieutenant understands. So I make the smallest smile at him, but he doesn't smile back. He says, this is a whole lot like what you told me about Benny Kilmartin, Mason. You realize that? The way he says it is not a question. He says, and so when Calvin went missing, you never thought to take me there. You never thought to tell the adults. You didn't think we'd want to know that there was a hole that a boy could fit into? He leans close, and I see the ugly green of his face. Comes in from the sides of my eyes. A circle cloud. And he says, why, Mason? Why is that? I hunch up. Wipe my sweat on my shoulder. Try to think of all the questions he's asking. I blink hard in that fog of green, and I say, well, you didn't take my map. I don't know. I didn't know Calvin's map, so I didn't know he was there. And I just never... Never what? I never thought of fitting a boy in that hole. Because, like, why would I? That shaft, it was for light. That's all. Lieutenant scrunches his face at me. There's something more he wants to know. I think about Miss Splinny. Just quick. How she said... Don't ever make up a thing to say just because you want to make the lieutenant happy. 
tell the simple truth. That's what she said. The lieutenant then says, but why didn't you at least tell us that you had been playing in that old cellar? And I say, well, I guess because I didn't finish. He won't like what I have to say. He never does. So he says, why not, Mason? I want to understand this. And I say, because no one asked. Then I say it again, louder. Nobody asked. And I'll tell you what, that green is gone, just gone. And I hear a voice, hey, hey. It makes my head snap around. It's Uncle Drum. I wonder, is he yelling at me for being so loud? But then he says, that's enough now. Don't you think so, Lieutenant? Mason's already said that nobody asked. And he's right. We didn't ask. He looked at Grandma and she shakes her head, sort of sad. That makes me sad, too. Uncle Drum squares his shoulders at the lieutenant and says, Mason is nothing if not honest. You should believe him. And I'll tell you what, it felt good to hear that. It gives me some guts, so I speak up and say, Lieutenant, I did check the cellar on my own. I did, but I didn't think of the shaft part, not until this morning. I don't know why. Uncle Drum clears his throat and says, I checked the cellar too. Now I'm surprised. And the lieutenant looks surprised too. Uncle Drum says, I knew the boys had been down there some. Didn't know how much. He gives me a tiny nod. But he keeps talking to the lieutenant and says, So you bet I checked. I was sure it was empty. I admit it. I didn't know about the hole. Uncle Drum dips his chin and said, Probably should have. The lieutenant says, That seems pretty, pretty negligent to me, Drum. He points a finger at him and Drum says, Say what you will, but the person just cannot know what he doesn't know. And you can't always see that a bad thing is going to happen before it happens. If you could, no bad thing would ever come, am I right? Don't you see that in your work, Lieutenant? Don't you see that plenty? And I'll tell you what, I got wide eyes on my Uncle Drum. I can't think what he's ever said so much all at once. I cannot think when something made so much sense. And then the phone rings, jolts us all, me up out of my chair, my fork flips onto my plate. Shailene pokes her head out like a cuckoo bird. I know this has to be the Chomsky parents, and it is. Our heads turn to Grandma when she takes the call. Turns out, Calvin's doing great. Great for a boy who got halfway folded up in a hole. Grandma listens, nods her head and smiles. Her minnow eyes shine, hand on her heart, and she tells us, no broken bones, but he sustained a concussion. And I say, what's that? What does that mean? Uncle Drum says, oh, he got a hard knock on his head, Mason. And I say, oh, right, that headache he had, and he kept sleeping. Grandma says, there's some nerve damage in the leg, and that will need time to heal. It will take months before he's 100%, but they say his spirits are good. I smile about that because it's a thing you could say always say about Calvin. His spirits are good. Grandma says, he's on the road to recovery, could be home as early as tomorrow. Then the lieutenant bursts right there in the kitchen and he says, oh, lucky. We are so lucky. He breathes in the good luck and out again. I smile when I see him that way and he smiles too. Everyone does. I think about how same side we are. He sets the empty mug on the kitchen counter and grandma picks it right up, soaps it with her sponge. And lieutenant says, still, I will be asking. I look at him and wonder 
Asking what? So he says, I'm going to find out how that boy got into that hole. He'll be able to tell us now. Uncle Drum says, did you ever talk to those kids from down the hill? Ask them what they saw. He points a thumb at the drinker house. And the lieutenant says, you know what we did? And they said just what Mason said. And that stops lieutenant. He gives me this sleepy kind of stare. All quiet in the kitchen. A second or two. He snaps awake and then says, they said it was like Calvin disappeared. And I guess he did, right down into that hole. So he might have some trouble remembering with that head injury, but I'm going to ask him how that happened. And I hope he can tell me. I think to myself, good. I want to know how he got in there too. Chapter 54, Caving In. It's between bells when I get to the school. Halls are quiet. I head for the swoof. Miss Blinney brings me right inside. She says, it makes me think that she's been waiting for me. And she calls down to the office. She tells them that she's keeping Mason Buttle for the rest of the day. It won't be all that long. I'm super late. And I'll tell you why. So much is going on at the crumble down this morning. Miss Blinney leans toward me and says, oh, Mason, I heard what happened to you last night. I say, you mean what happened to Calvin? I'm not the one that got stuck in the hole. She says, yes, I know, but how hard it must be for you two. I'm sure it was a terrible night. And she's right about that. She says, but you've heard, right? Calvin's going to be all right. I nod when she says it. And this is when I find out how choked up I am. I could hardly speak to her. Maybe Miss Blinney knows how I'm feeling. She offers me the dragon. She logs me right in. I tuck the tissues under the earphones. I take my hands and make two potato fists and I sit on my forehead on them. And then I talk. I tell this to the dragon. Oh boy, I'm glad to be in the swoof for the whole day. Well, what's left of it? Because there is a story and it's rolling through the school like a stink bomb. Everyone already probably knows how I'm the stupid kid who dug a dangerous hole and Calvin fell into it. And I'll tell you what, I have to plug my ears. I'm too tired for it. The right parts and the wrong parts. The way it goes when people are talking and telling. Anyway, so um, I'm tired because we searched in the night and I talked and walked with Lieutenant Baird. So um, we did find Calvin. Finally, that's the best thing. Still can't believe he was in the light shaft, the one we built in the root cellar. I can give all that up now because it's gone. The whole thing is. So, um, the town of Merrimack, well, they sent over the building inspector this morning, really early, before I came to school, late, and it was not good news when they said to Uncle Drum, I mean, it's okay because, you know, you cannot really get good news in one day, and we needed good news about Calvin most of all, and we got it, but the inspector said he was sorry. He said the root cellar was a condemnable hazard, is what? Big danger. And the inside ceiling was near collapse now. They said that we have could have lost the boy down in there, Calvin. So then the town, they, they sent this big machine, a really big one, digger on one end, payloader on the other. Uncle Drum and Grandma let me stay home for it. So I was there to see when they set that big claw down on the roof of the root cellar. Sure did made a, make a bite in there, like a dinosaur eats a meal. 
ate the dirt first, and then it got down to where there was a popping and a cracking, a breaking. And I'll tell you what, less than one hour, and they dug away the whole top. They pushed it all into the cellar. Brambles, broken boards, and our sauna tube. It's all piled right on top where Calvin and I hung out. The man from the town said the old foundation, um, the stone part, could stay. So we have two walls standing up from the ground now. It looks weird. Like they needed something to go across the top of them. And I told Uncle Drum that we'd better do that. Get some new boards. Cap it for safety. Anyway, the inspector said the walls were remarkable and solid because the things were built to last back in a time when the Buttle Farm was new. Well, so it was hard to see it come down. And I guess I have to tell Calvin that our caves of Lasco got crushed. Um, One thing is still there. On one of the good old stony walls, the Arrakis. It looks like it's standing on the old boards and dirt now. I can't see his feet. It's too bad. But he's in the open now, kind of like he's looking out at the orchard. Feels best to think of it that way. I stop talking. I sit. I keep my head down on my fists. I'm still as a rock. Someone will want to get on this dragon soon, I bet. But I don't move. Not yet. I think there's more I should tell the dragon. There's another thing that keeps coming. The bad luck part. Like something dark that follows me. I worry. It seemed better for a while. But, um, I think it might. I think it's still there. What if we didn't find Calvin? I can't help it. I think about all the things we lost. Bing, bang, boom. And it scares me. I know I made a big mistake. I didn't give up the root cellar. Should have, like the lieutenant said. A person should know. I feel stupid. I feel dangerous, and it makes me scared to be me the way I am, because what can you do about that? Nothing. I feel a hand on my back. Did I stop talking? How long? Um, I think, uh-oh, Anna is at a lang, and I pop my head up and pull off the headset. I'm wrong. It's Miss Blinney. She whispers, I'm sorry I startled you. Then she pulls the tissue off to the side of my head and points at the screen. She says, may I read? She says it in a kind way. I say, sure. Already, I can't remember what it was I was writing. Then I know. I've been asleep at the dragon, just a while. But I think I should not say yes about a reading. It's too late. Miss Blinney reads fast. She's looking at me. It's that way that I know she's seeing more than just my eyeballs. She sees all the way in, and she says, Oh, Mason, I'm so sorry. My jaw gets shivery. I try to stop it, but it makes it worse. Miss Blinney says, You know what happened? You learned something really important. That's your job as a kid. This crazy, awful experience is probably preparing you for a really great decision somewhere down the line. Something no one can ever guess about. She smiles and says, how cool is that? I try to keep my jaw still, but it wants to shake and it aches. Miss Blinney reaches into the basket on her desk, a flat glitter rock with with a word on it. She holds one in her hand and says, please don't be afraid. Live your big life, Mason. You are not bad luck, and you are not stupid or dangerous or any of those things. She hands me the rock, and she says, 
This is you. Loyal. You are a loyal friend. And that is the end for today. We will be on chapter 55, The Arrakis in the Orchard, tomorrow. I hope you enjoyed the reading.